We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I wanted to jump in quickly and let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knesser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Now... On to my guest for today, Michelle Fishburne, who turned her job loss into an opportunity building who we are now, a glimpse into the life of Americans in 2020. Michelle started out professionally as a high-powered attorney traveling around the world. When she started a family, she opted to stay home and delve into homeschooling. This led her to get curious about education and alternatives to traditional education. Most recently, she worked as an executive for the Brian Hamilton Foundation's Inmates to Entrepreneurs program. Ever unconventional, when Michelle found herself out of a job and her children gone earlier this year, she opted to hit the road. Since July, she's been traveling the country, documenting and sharing stories and pictures of how people around the country are living and coping with the pandemic, sharing them at Who We Are Now. A recurring theme of Michelle's stories and in our conversation was how vital the local community is, especially downtowns, and how people can really step up and find creative solutions to current challenges when they work together. Michelle's stories attest to the power of ingenuity and compassion for others you can find all around the country, no matter your politics. Now, let's get better together. Michelle Fishburne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I am thrilled to have you, to be honest. We actually <laughs> uh, met through the Brian Hamilton Foundation and some work that I was doing and still do with Dontari Poe. Uh, and then I found out you're doing this super awesome project, which we're absolutely going to talk about in a second. But before we do that, like I love to tell or ask people, uh, excuse me, uh, Kind of give us a little history of how you got to do what you're doing today. Oh, well, it's been a very circuitous journey. And people tell me that a journey is not very interesting if it's a straight road. And so I think mine's probably pretty interesting. <laughs> I started off as an international trade attorney for a decade in Washington, D.C., 
flying all over the world doing work for brand name companies. And then uh, when my oldest was born, I decide, decided that nobody was going to know her better than me and decided to stay at home and be a stay at home mom. And that was after, you know, a law degree and a career and a half of a year as an executive MBA student. And that's when I had my, my first child. So I stayed home and homeschooled. It turns out that I need to homeschool for a while because unbeknownst to me, I had given birth to an inventor and um, the school system said they weren't really cut out for teaching um, nine-year-old inventors. So I continued homeschooling, uh, which led me into invention education. So I started doing PR for invention education foundations, which led me into entrepreneurship education which is where you and I met through the Brian Hamilton Foundation when I was working on, uh, on, on the Brian Hamilton Foundation's mission of making entrepreneurship accessible to everyone through their free online program, Starter You. And, and not entrepreneurship like Silicon Valley, but if you need to start a small business or would like to start a small business, how you do it. And then um, Brian also had started Inmates to Entrepreneurs 27 years ago, and that was his nonprofit. And so that was a really important part of our work. So I had been doing that. And then when 2020 hit, things had to change for Brian. And um, I found myself with a lot of time on my hands. And I uh, became an empty nester and a single 57-year-old uh, adult who whose lease was up on our house. And I had a motor home that I had homeschooled my kids in from time to time. So what was scarce was a job, notwithstanding 86 customized cover letters. And what was abundant was time and my RV. And I was very curious about what 2020 was doing in everybody's lives. And so I decided to take out on the road in the RV and drive all over America and ask people, tell me about your 2020, which is how, who we are now. 2020 was born as a, a photojournalism project, but also an oral history of ordinary people during these extraordinary times. Let's just pause there. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about like the ultimate, uh, Let's get out in the field and figure out what's going on uh, experiment. <laughs> and uh, wow, I mean, good on you because I don't think I'd have the courage to do that. I don't know. Well, I'm you know, the thing is, though, Jari, if you had an insatiable curiosity, mm -hmm. sometimes that is a stronger emotion than fear. Mm -hmm. And... I think a lot of entrepreneurs have an insatiable curiosity about whether they can build something. Right, right, right. right. And, and as long as that curiosity and what they do every day, their action every day to, to start answering their questions and building, as long as that stays ahead of the fear, you just keep going. Yeah. I mean, I, that's actually a really good point. I guess yeah, fear, uncertainty, and doubt can be overcome by curiosity, grit, and I guess determination <laughs> to make it all happen. I mean, it's just so fascinating because, I mean, you get in an RV during COVID. And <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know if that's a good idea or a bad idea. <laughs> you know, I mean, who knows? Like, who, what am I, who am I to say, right? But, but the good news is, is that we're talking now and you've got a lot of great uh, insights from the field of talking to all sorts of actually lots of entrepreneurs and lots of people, which is one of the reasons I wanted to ha have you on, obviously, and also to catch up and, you know, make sure that we, you know, stay in touch because I really love what you did, not only at the Brian Hamilton Foundation, but what you're doing now is just, I mean, it's phenomenal that you would go out in the world and say like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> <You know? laughs> Um, which which is really cool, and I think more people need to do that. And what I find really fascinating about what you how you've done this kind of your approach is, um, you know, communities all across the U.S. and across the world, right, are all trying to figure out how to deal with this pandemic. But also, there's been some you know fundamental changes over the last decade, maybe, 
of how some of these communities have been struggling and this only made the struggle worse. So, you know, let's just, let's, why don't you share what you found, at least some of it, because I know there's a lot (laughs) and I'll put a link to all of your great um, reporting and your Instagram. I mean, there's just so much good stuff you've been doing. So Give me a tour. Tell me okay. what's going on All out right. there. Well, well you kind of gave me the softball, so I'm going to go with the softball that you threw, which was there were already towns out there that were struggling, and COVID made it worse. So let's talk about one of my favorite aspects of this trip, which is entrepreneurs in our historic downtown areas in rural America. They don't have drive-throughs for the restaurants. So let's just put that out there. Um, They don't have large staffs that, um, and also young staffs that staffs that know about Venmo or Square or how to do curbside delivery and online sales. They don't do online sales. The pack rat gift shop at the train station in Raton, New Mexico has been doing just fine all these years because they were across from the Boy Scout Museum and on the way to Philmont every year, thousands of boys and their troop leaders stopped at the Scout Museum right near the railroad station and she was fine. She's never had to go online. She's never had to learn how to do square. So this summer, her sales were down 50%. Wow. So what do you do when that happens. So let's just talk about Raton because it is to me, it's a microcosm of what I've been seeing. So Raton, New Mexico is on, on I-25 on the way from Albuquerque to Denver. And um, the historic downtown is a ways away from the intersection with I-25. So it's just like any intersection out there. You know, you've got your brand hotels, you've got some restaurants, you've got some old inns and the gas stations and plenty of drive throughs So that part of town was doing better. The downtown, not so much. And I've seen this repeated throughout America as I've traveled. So it's almost like some of these downtown owners are stuck. Mm. And it's the moment where the fact that there are mom and pop shops people who are from that town where they need their community. So in, during COVID, they've needed their community in ways that they've never needed community before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Raton Main Street does something called cash mobs. And have you ever heard of cash mobs? No, I don't know what that okay. is. Okay, so a cash mob is when the leaders of your community say, okay, this week we're going to go to so-and-so's store or the flower shop in town and we're all going to spend five dollars or more so they call out which retailer is going to benefit for that particular week and there's always a bump in sales it's the community rallying around a vendor well during covid when the stores were shut down and they weren't able to pay their rents and their utilities and of course very little in sales revenues Raton Main Street came in and said, we'll do a Facebook Live cash mob. So two times a week, Tuesday nights and Thursday nights, they would the three women from Raton Main Street would get into a store and it would be like QVC. They would hold up different <laughs> things. <laughs> and sometimes they put on wigs and Aww. they got kind of campy and they looked goofy. I love it. <laughs> They did this for 12 weeks, Jari, 12 weeks. Wow. With 31 businesses. Wow. That's awesome. They brought in more than $40,000 in sales revenues. Wow. Which helped pay rent and utilities, sales tax. And another interesting angle to the story is some of the women who were doing this, their kids were, their adult kids were watching from, watching from other places in the country. Uh-huh. So one woman, her son was in the Navy and he was stationed in Florida and he calls his mom and he says, mom, how are you guys tracking these sales? And she says, uh. <laughs> <laughs> he said, have you heard of Google forms? Wow. Okay. So for the next ones. Kids who had grown up in this small town moved away. Mm-hmm. They watched and they recorded all the sales through Google Forms. 
And one and one of my favorite quotes is Brenda, who was leading the suffrage, said that one night when she was doing her QBC style thing, she said to herself, the kids are watching. Oh, my gosh, the kids are watching us. And she said and then she said, you know, they're really proud of us because we decided that we've got to save our town. Yeah. And that's what they did. And um, the one of the silver linings, in addition to the sales revenues, is they told these um, vendors, if you want to participate, you need to learn how to do Venmo or Square or so they got them now using online payment. And they also had to get, learn how to do online sales. And so they had training sessions. So that's helping them maybe if things get bad again in this winter, they yeah. now have a new skill set. Yeah. So that those kinds of experiences where you look at those downtowns and those little shops and you think without the community rallying around them, I don't know. It's almost like they're trapped as yeah. business people. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, we we in, you know, we being me <laughs> in Silicon Valley, you know, we sort of take all that stuff for, for granted. But, uh, you know it's not a skill stack. It's not a talent stack that a lot of people have. And it's, it is pretty cool that they rallied around and did the whole, like use the tools that were available. (laughs) Like don't even know how to, (laughs) don't even know how to track sales. It's like, Oh, well, we just assume people are going to buy this stuff. You know, (laughs) that's really cool. And and, and I'm seeing it over and over again. So another example, Oak Mulgee, Oklahoma, which is the capital (laughs) Of the Creek Nation. <laughs> you need to say that 10 times fast. <laughs> I know. I know. I said it really carefully, yeah. so I didn't screw it up. Um, Definitely. In Mulgee, okay, um, their downtown restaurants were struggling. Mm. And there is an uh, Covington Aircraft is a plant in town. And Aaron, who runs it, picked up the phone and called Heather Sumner, the head of Oak Mulgee Main Street. And he said, hey, are any of your restaurants catering? Because I don't want my guys to be going off of the plant during their work shifts. Because I think that'll just increase the chance that somebody's going to bring COVID back into the plant. Right. I want to pay to bring in food from my workers every day until in the foreseeable future. Um, and so she went to the restaurants in town and they all took a turn. And the neat thing is that Heather was a linchpin. She was the person who would go and pick up the food from the restaurants and drive it to a point, drop it off for Covington aircraft, and then they would distribute it to their people. And I'll be talking with Aaron. Um, he and I actually have a zoom day after tomorrow. And so I'll be doing his who we are now story. So as I'm going through, if people want to follow these different interesting ideas that communities are doing to help business pe- businesses in their communities, like Brenda from Raton, New Mexico, there's a who we are now story about her. There will be one about Heather and Oak Mulgee and about Aaron, the head of Covington Aircraft. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it, <laughs> it, it is all about community. I mean, you know, a lot of people get kind of down on, you know, what, you know, like, well, you know, like technology solves everything, right? Like, of course, here in, in Silicon Valley, that's our whole mantra, but it's not true. It, it's really a bunch of people that care about each other getting together and solving their own problems. And there's not a lot of uh, other ways to do it other than, okay. This is what we got to do to save our town or our downtown or our business. I mean, even here in San Francisco, which, again, you know, center of the tech world, you walk down the street where I where I live and there's small businesses that are shuttered and, you know, there's plywood over them. Right. And it's been that way for months. And even the ones that can take advantage of technology or what the city here did to save their communities because it's the same no matter where you are you could be in a borough in you know new york or you could be in in the middle of new mexico um having those local businesses and the local people support them is a huge thing i mean here what they did was they closed down a lot of streets and put out 
parklets and so that people could eat outside. I mean, and that got, I mean, shockingly quickly through um, the, the bureaucracy here because it's a lot of bureaucracy here. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, like a lot of people are like, well, how are we going to do this? And, you know, they sorted it out. So do you that's, a, that's another great that's another great softball you just threw me because <laughs> let me talk to you about another guy in Raton, New Mexico. Uh-huh. He is um, he his name is Maurice Lemus and he owns Casa Lemus Inn and Restaurant. So mm. it's an old inn and a, a restaurant that's attached to it or near it. And um, so he did some of the basic stuff that a lot of people have done, which is, you know, open a, a drive through window. And that helped. But he also got very, very innovative. And so the the themes I'm seeing as I go across the country, not only in the business community, but more generally, are resiliency and innovativeness and community. So Maurice is a really good example of innovativeness. So he, yeah, so he did the, you know, he put in a drive-through window. But then he also looked at the um, brand name hotels in town. And because they could only have certain capacity caps, that some of them had decided to stop serving breakfast or even to do the to-go bags or minimal to-go bags for breakfast. So, so Maurice thought, well, I don't usually serve breakfast, but this is an opportunity. So he went around to all the brand name hotels right there by the intersection and said, you, could you tell your guests that I serve breakfast? And so one of the things that Maurice did in order to survive was he changed up his menu three or four times this year. Wow. And in addition to the drive-through window and going to the brand name hotels, he also put a roof, a rooftop patio in a small one, but one that he could feed about another, I don't know, 12 people outside and then you know how when you drive up to some hotels, they have that like carport yeah. reception area. Yeah, yeah. He turned that into an outdoor uh, dining patio. Oh wow! And, <laughs> and and he said he went home and he got a screen and like he had some kind of music playing and stuff to make it look like he was happening. <laughs> and, he's a hustler. And he's a hustler. And in New Mexico, as of January first, the minimum wage went up twenty percent. Okay. Yeah. And so he did a 20% pay raise before COVID hit across the board for everybody. Right. Right. He's only down 19% this year. Wow. Because of his hustle. Yeah. And his innovativeness. Yeah. But he also just talked to, 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 to talk about one of the, the themes in your book, the entrepreneur ethos talent. He knew he had a really, really good team. And he was very honest with them. And he also said to them, we're going to work more hours. You know, if we decide to go for it, because he could have closed or stayed open, we're going to have to work more hours. And you all are going to have to make sure that you are incredibly careful when you are away from the restaurant. So you don't bring COVID into the restaurant, which will shut us down for everybody. Yeah, yeah. got to be, got to be, you know, in it to win it on that, right? I mean. Right. Yep. Yeah, I heard, I heard someone put it distinctly when it came to, you know, this whole mask thing, which I'm sure in various parts of the country have different relationships with the mask. That's so true. Um, I heard, I think it was Stephen Pressfield. No, it was Stephen Pressfield. So Stephen Pressfield, you know, I don't know if you know, he's an, he's an author. He's one, one of my all time favorite authors and someone that I just look up to. And he put out this really interesting post about the Spartans, right? He, he's, he's basically, I think he's an honorary Spartan (laughs) (laughs) because he wrote Gates of Fire and Gates of Fire is based on 500 or whatever, 300, sorry. I mean, so he like knows uh, Sparta history. And uh, so he tells a story about why it's important to wear a mask. And he's like, in Sparta, if you lost your helmet or your sword, they would fine you. If you lost your shield, they would kill you. Oh, ouch. And they're like, well, why is that? Well, because the helmet and the sword are to protect you and the shields to protect the buddy next to you. So the parallax, you know, the thing that they go. Oh, so wow. the right. most important thing was to protect the people around you, your buddy to your left and your buddy to your right. And so he said, and then he puts underneath, wear a mask, <laughs> Which, <laughs> you know, again, like 
I don't understand some of the controversy around that. I mean, what harm is it, right? It's a simple thing, but be like a Spartan, right? Like, you know, protect. So, co- so coming from the East Coast, um, I had been, you know, and, and huddled on, in my East Coastness, I had been wondering how people out in other part of the countries weren't wearing masks. Mm-hmm. And you're right, from most of the country that I went through, I went from North Carolina out to Cheyenne, Wyoming, and I'm now heading back again, and then I'll take off again. But for a lot of the country that I was going through, the population, the populations were very limited. Yeah. And the COVID cases were very limited. And so when I was in Shamrock, Texas, which is um, on old 66, mm-hmm. um, and they... They're not wearing masks mm-hmm. and they've had some ribbon cuttings with a hundred people. Mm-hmm. And when you go to Shamrock, you just wouldn't even know that there's that, that, that this is 2020. Right. And one of the things that's also surprised me when I was in Shamrock is, you know, we all worry about the tourism business and the hospitality industry. Um, but if you're on old route 66, it seems like there's some resiliency there because I saw their maps of with the pins in it of where people are from and mm-hmm. every year they clear out all the pins so they can see they start every year january 1 with nothing on the map mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the map for the united states had pins all over it wow the map from europe had pins all over it and i said to them how could this be and they said well families that were going to go to europe or they were going to go on a cruise they decided to do old route 66 instead yeah and yeah. the college students who were from europe and other parts of the world who were sort of stuck here right 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 instead of sitting in their dorm rooms being bored they they got together and they decided let's try old route 66 <laughs> um <laughs> yeah. and Cool. And so there have been some real surprises out there, but you know, in 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 Shamrock, they'd only this entire time they've only had twenty cases. Wow, that's impressive. Seven of which were hospitalizations, and all seven people came back and they're fine. And so the thing is, we talk about critical thinking, and so being an East Coaster, I was thinking, well, if you're critical thinking. You would never not wear a mask, but then you get out into situations where day in, day out, they're not seeing their numbers go up. And and so, you know, I wear I wear a mask, um, but I think this has given me a new appreciation of help. It's helped me see some of this from other people's point of views. Politics aside, this just in terms of a matter of do we really need to? Different communities are making different assessments. And in a community like Shamrock, I can't say they're wrong. I mean, it's just... No, 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 no. And, and in fact, it's interesting, you know, if you look at other places around the world, um, Sweden being one, where they're doing their grand experiment on all this, which yeah. no one really knows. I mean, it's all really experiments. And, and you know, and, and I agree. I mean, I'm being a little facetious about the, the mass stuff, just because I think, you know, if you're in a community where that's required to, to stop the spread, then do it. If you're in a community... You know, it, it's like a risk tolerance thing, just like all entrepreneurs, like they take calculated risks. So, yeah, you yeah. know, you sort of got to like, OK, what what's what's the downside? What's the upside? And again, entrepreneurs do this all the time. So um, but yeah, I and mean, he, uh, yeah. And human beings actually do this yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah, too, yeah. Right. And we all have our own personal comfort. level. Um, I have a favorite story. Can I tell you a favorite? Oh, for story? sure. Yeah, of course. OK. So there's this woman named Jackie Carter who has one of those salon lofts, lofts, right? Mm-hmm. So you, so she, she's a, she does a hairstyling and she rents out the space from salon lofts. One of the things that's very cool. And I think goodwill is important as an entrepreneur, as an ongoing business, uh, salon lofts decided not to charge rent wow. while their, their, uh, renters were, uh, closed. So that was huge for her when she, so her biggest issue in 2020 was when she reopened all 300 of her regular customers thought they should be first. (laughs) (laughs) So 2020 has created these new problems that people have never had before. So from a problem solving point of view, what do you do? You don't want, how do you tell a customer you're not as important as this customer or like there's no there's no playbook for this story at all, obviously, no, right? No. So she decided to do a raffle. 
Oh, cool. So she raffled off tickets and whoever got the most tickets. So she, you know, would be the first in line to get an appointment. And she went on the list. She raised $4,500 for a food bank. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, goodwill, I think, is a very important. I remember during my year in business school at George Washington University, um, they talked a lot about goodwill. Yeah. And I think I think that the entrepreneurs and the businesses that are staying true to their communities and integrated end up benefiting disproportionately, I think, actually, right now in COVID. Yeah. I mean, they're following the ethos. Personally. Following the ethos, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's why I kind of wrote it. Um, not to say that you know I'm the be all end all on it, but I I saw that the most important thing to do to foster a tight knit community, no matter where you are, is to have that we're looking out for each other, and that's across all the boards. You know, government, uh, nonprofit, profitable entrepreneurs, everyone coming together to help out. I mean, it's been that way here in San Francisco too, even though it's a big city and you, you hear all the, you know, tomfoolery that goes on here, <laughs> uh, which, which it can be a lot. And you, you know, you hear, you hear a lot of, you know, pushing the envelope on certain things, um, progressively as so to speak. But when you get down to it, uh, it's the local communities. You know, I mean, I'll give you a great example here uh, in Chinatown. You know, China, this is the this is the biggest Chinatown on the West Coast or actually probably in the country. I, you know, hands down, it's a massive Chinatown. And <clears throat> when everything first started, no one went to Chinatown. Like they thought, oh, because, you know, COVID came from China, quote unquote. I mean, it was disproportionately impacted. I mean, devastated to a certain degree. Uh, because they rely heavily on tourism because it's like, I mean, it's a beautiful Chinatown. If you're ever there, it's like, wow, this looks, parts of it look just like China. Um, but their community was trying to like, hey, how do we get, you know, get people to come back to Chinatown? And how do we help our own community be um, be resilient and strong? And so um, one of the, they were one of the first communities to do outside dining. Um, which wow. people were very, oh, oh yeah, I feel, you know, cause again, like people feel comfortable again, it, again, your level of risk tolerance, right? There's some people right. Right. that, you know, will are comfortable going to a movie theater and they'll like take the risk. There's some people, I have some friends haven't left their house in eight months. I mean, they haven't been around anyone else except the husband and wife. That's it. They, they don't go anywhere because they're so like you know, freaked out about it. Um, so risk tolerance has a big thing to do with it as well as the environment you're in. And I think the only way, like you said, I mean, I think you, you know, you, you made a great point. Local communities know what they need. Yeah. Let them, let them give them the resources to solve their own problems, which, you know, is of a certain political persuasion that we don't get into. But, <laughs> right, right. But I right. think generally a, the right thing to do because who knows? I don't know what's going on in, you know, Shamrock, <laughs> Texas yeah, or yeah. Louisiana. Like, let's just. Well, so, so my roots are political science and mm-hmm. um, and I don't want to get into politics. So I'll just leave this here. But, I, you know, the, 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 the political science theory is the closer a government gets to the people. Mm-hmm the be- more likely it is that the rules they come up with reflect the risk tolerance or the values or whatever the people. And I love being an American. And I love the fact that we have such a big, diverse country. Um, but this is obviously a reminder that there's no one size fits all. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. um, and I want to talk to you just for a second about where I am right now. I'm sitting in the Corinth, Mississippi Coke Museum. And today I was learning about the Corinth 10K. And for 39 years now, Corinth Coke has been sponsoring this family um, community 10K. And this year, the big question was, do you continue to do it? Yeah. So sometimes when you're giving back to your community in terms of goodwill, you really don't know, eh, how important is it to the community? Right. But when COVID hit, they were besieged by <laughs> by phone calls, emails, people knocking on the door. Are you going to have the 10K? Yeah. 
Wow. Because it'd become an entire weekend event and people's kids came home for the 10 K and so they had, that's what happens here too. Like, Oh really? Beta breakers is the similar thing. Uh, So they had a virtual run and, um, (laughs) but I think uh, that's another thing coming out of this. I think that a lot of businesses like young musicians that I've spoken with. So music entrepreneurs that um, were only ever doing live audiences. They've now discovered um, audiences in other countries. So a young woman I interviewed named Sadie Zimmett, she was only doing live performances and they went online, right, with the band because of COVID. And now they have people who are watching them from all over the world. And she said, I don't think we can go back. We'll do live, of yeah. course. And we yeah. love doing live, but we can't leave our new our new followers in Australia and New Zealand without our music. Um, So it's going to be interesting how this has really forced a lot of entrepreneurs to reconstitute how they deliver their products and services. Oh yeah. I I think it's forever going to change how people think about it. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you don't Mm -hmm. have some sort of, online on demand on premise mix where the the experience and you you're cultivating your you know your customer base and you know you're providing you know that goodwill that you talk about um yeah you're it's you're not going to last long i mean you never lasted long anyway if you were in the more like the taker mentality where you know it's sort of like take 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 instead of give 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 because i mean ultimately entrepreneurship and business should benefit the community that it's in. That's part of the reason why it's so important that we support local, shop local, you know, know our local community businesses, because I mean, that's the flavor, right? Like you can't, right, right. how can, you know, like I go to, I go to Memphis a lot and, you know, it's just barbecue. I mean, sorry for those in Kansas City. I knew you were going to say barbecue. <laughs> it's just, and in Texas. I got in a big argument with a pipeliner in Oklahoma. He was from Texas. And when I said Carolina, he said, your barbecue ain't as good as ours. (laughs) There you go, right? So, yeah. So, you know, but I mean, that's the flavor, right? Like, I love having, okay, okay, then maybe I'll go to Texas, you know, go to Texas or Kansas City or Memphis or, you know, North Carolina, you know, because I mean, and that's like a matter of pride, right? Like, so yeah, they people like kid about it and it's like football teams and stuff, but like, how cool is that, that, you know, you know, when you go to Memphis, you go to the rendezvous barbecue place, you're like, wow, I'm like here, like, you know, you can't like get that anywhere else. Just like some places in Texas or some places in Kansas City and that local flavor. And North Carolina. And North Carolina, sorry. <laughs> Never been to North Carolina, so I guess I don't know. I can't vouch for the barbecue, but um, if I ever do get out there, I'll, I'll make sure to try some. Um, okay. But, I'll, I'll take you out. Yeah, I appreciate that. Okay. I appreciate okay. that. But, but I mean, that, that's, what, that, that's, that's a great point. The, the communi- community thrives when it has those components like businesses and services and the, the populace is like engaged and you know doesn't even matter like you know what side of the spectrum you're on in terms of political or social like economic you know you come together because you really love where you live and you support it and i think that's been the thing that's really powerful about now a days i've seen i, I have i'm not going to tell you where because I, I i'm not particularly enamored with this story. So I'll tell, I'll just, I'll just make it generic, but I spoke with a chamber of commerce leader for a County who had not grown up there and was tired of hearing the locals whine about the downtown dying and not getting an infusion of money and, um, um, a support, and he basically thought his view was stop complaining. You have Lowe's and Hobby Lobby and Dairy Queen. And, you know, those are really cranking great revenues into our town. And the people said, 
but we want our downtown. And actually, I can tell you also, I heard this from a woman in a small town in West Virginia as well. I guess I heard this twice so far. His, uh, from his perspective, it was stop whining about your downtown. It, you know, get over it kind of thing. And this other, this other woman, she was from this tiny, tiny little town. And she, she told me about how they, they tried to rally and get um, these old buildings turned into arts and crafts kinds of yeah. lofts and all. Yeah. And the, the community leaders said no. And they just kept adding more and more box stores. Yeah. And um, I do think, that uh, I do think that we all want to live in a place that we feel has heart and character. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the, it's, I don't know, I guess I'm kind of speechless. I haven't processed this yet. I don't understand why some communities let their downtowns die. Well, I mean, they're just not, you know, well, I mean, it's a, it's a tough call, right? Yeah. On the one hand, you need tax revenue from a big box. They're a lot more stable. Uh, on the other hand, you know, where you are, especially in a, in a town where, you know, you kind of, it's hard to say because I, I, I mean, personally, I like to go to towns, the downtown and like what's different, right? I mean, I could go to a Lowell's, no offense to them. I could go to a, you know... Hobby Lobby, whatever, anywhere in the world, I mean, the country, it's like, there's nothing special about it. You know, I'd, I'd rather go someplace where there's some charm and some, some, I don't know what the term to use, but it's like different, you know, like it's, it's night, it's interesting to go. I mean, you know, my, my dad's from a little town in Parsons, it's Southeastern Kansas, right? It's called Parsons, Kansas, this little town. And, um, you know, I mean, it's Kansas, it's, you know, the yeah. Midwest, Right. Not a lot going on out there, but there's this, uh, <laughs> I think it's the second largest electric shovel <laughs> it's in the world, right? And it, 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 they used to mine coal with it, the surface coal, you know, because Kansas, you could literally see the coal on the surface. Oh, wow. And it's called Big Brutus, I think it's called Big Brutus. And so it, we would go there as kids and like, yeah, okay, we're in the middle of Kansas, and but there's this thing <laughs> and it makes it unique, right? <laughs> And you know, right. there's other right, things. Right. There's this right. one one place called Bender's Mound, and anyway, so but like you know, then Joplin's close, and then there's Coffeeville, and then, so there's all these little things that are like you know, you have to have they have some charm. Yeah, maybe it's not as much charm as some people like maybe in New Orleans or New York or San Francisco, but charm, local charm, and like feeling uh, unique is probably the wrong word, but connected, like connected yeah. to your community. Yep. yep. So important. And I, yeah, I mean, it's, I hope, I hope what'll happen is that people will start to realize that more and more and then start shopping even more local. I actually talked to this woman entrepreneur about her company called City Shop, which is trying to do that. Like basically allow people from all over the world to shop local in these little communities um, so that they can survive. Uh, and it is- could be that one of the silver linings of COVID ends up being a little bit more of a focus and appreciation on those downtown areas, because as people have been limited to their towns, hmm. um, there probably hmm. has been more, more getting acquainted with their downtowns. Um, when I was once again, Okmulgee, Oklahoma, um, uh, when I was talking to Heather, she told me that, uh, this is, I love this story that for four, four years, they've been in the queue to have their hundred year old pipes, um, and the downtown water pipes, uh, dug up and have new ones installed. So that actually happened during COVID their four year queue marker, whatever came up in like February. So they've been digging up the downtown and they've been digging up these bricks that say Oak Mulgee on them. So she, now this is, t- talk about entrepreneurial spirit. She <laughs> ran over there and said, can we have all the bricks that say off Mulgee on them? And the guy says, yeah, if you come and pick them up every day. <laughs> so they did. Wow. And the football team helped in the, yeah. the high school football team and everybody Ooh. pitched in and helped. They ended up selling each of the bricks for $10. Wow. 
they raised $11,000. So you do the math, you know how many bricks they sold and they turned it into $500 micro grants. Wow. And instead of giving the money outright to the downtown businesses, um, she just went ahead and directly using the micro grants, paid their rents and their utilities and their taxes, whatever was due to keep them going. And, um, and she said when the football players came down and spent the day downtown, they learned the history of the town. Yeah. And you know, um, and I'm, this is going to sound like a segue, but it's kind of not, I think I was talking to an art entrepreneur named Amos, um, Hummel in, uh, South Carolina in the low country. And he said, you know, when somebody buys your painting, it means more to them when they meet the painter, when they hear the painter's story, right? And so maybe one of the silver linings of COVID is people wander back downtown just to stretch their legs or a football team goes downtown to help out with a community project. People start to get reconnected with what's behind those old buildings and the heart of the towns and a little of their histories. And, and that, that has got to be good for the downtown entrepreneurs and businesses to have it be more than I'm just going to walk in and pick up a t-shirt that sounds, says my town's name on it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, you know, that, that's part of like when we, when we as kids would go to Kansas, you know, that's the history the family's been there forever and going to these little towns and hearing about them and you know, what, what happened. I mean, I like history anyway, but it was pretty cool to be like, Hey, you know, I'm from here. Like not directly, but mm-hmm. like, uh-huh. wow, I'm, there's people in this town with the same last name. Well, I mean, most of them <laughs> probably have the same last name or related, right? And that's pretty interesting and cool. It's the same with going to Europe. Like my mom's from, from the Netherlands. So you go to the Netherlands and you go to her hometown and you're like, oh, wow, there's people here that had your last, I mean, you know, it's, it's just, I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just Con- the, connection. Yeah, uh, there, connection. You, know, you know, if you look at, you think about Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one of the very foundational needs is a feeling of belonging. Yeah. And, and yeah. maybe that's what we're sort of talking all around, which is in these small, smaller towns, that feeling of belonging starts to get attenuated. With, with all the box stores coming in yeah, um, true. and the fast food. And then, ha- um, and so it, the stories I'm hearing from across the country is downtown say they're actually seeing a lot more people on the streets in the downtowns. People are coming back into the downtowns and I'm hearing that, um, at that residents and residents are carrying more and the, the main street organizations in towns are starting to put up, um, this is great. Once again, very entrepreneurial murals all over town and then putting them out on Facebook and saying, Hey, these are great for your Instagram photos. And, <laughs> and they're changing the murals up. So, Hey, we're, we just changed that mural because we've got a new season. Come on downtown and, and take your Instagram photo in front of the <laughs> new mural. And they're being really, really the grit that I'm seeing from some of these main street organizations um and the creativity and the determination to breathe new life into the downtown areas and therefore the businesses so i think it's great and i think we could see we could see a resurgence in downtowns old downtowns because of covid yeah no i mean there is definitely a silver lining that way I, i mean there will be probably a lot of a lot of silver linings. Yeah, I hope you know a lot of devastation on on, on some fronts too. But it is always nice to see the uh, entrepreneurial spirit, the spirit of community. I mean, I think that's what gets people through it. You know, like yeah. having some having some pride and some belonging. Like, look, I want my own destiny or our own shared collective destiny. And you know, look, we're going to do it our way. Don't tell us what to do. It's our community. We'll handle it. I think is a very, you know, that's the American spirit. I can't think of a, a better way to put it. You know, we're, <laughs> we're a bunch of Yahoo cowboys at some, in some ways, but we're also, you know, independent, pulled together and really like care about each other. And we definitely care about our communities. And it's, uh, this is such a great project you're working on. So, well, thank uh, you. I'm having a great time with it. And, uh, 
Uh, I've got 37 to, so today is, uh, you know, I guess sort of later part of October and I have 37 stories up there. I have 30 in the queue that I somehow got to convert very quickly and put them <laughs> up there. And I'm just going to keep going. I figure I'll probably have 200 by Christmas uh, stories of people from all walks of life all over America. And um, I, it, I have to say that I am inspired by the, the resiliency and the hope I've seen out there. And I've also been that what I keep hearing. So when COVID started, I figured we would have less community, hmm. that we would all be isolated and we would have less community because of COVID. And in every single town I've asked people and they have found the exact opposite. People feel more drawn together. They feel more of a sense of community than they did before COVID. And that I think is probably, to be honest with you, the biggest surprise of my trip so far. Wow. Well, that's a great place to end. Thank you so much You're for welcome. your time. Keep it up, stay safe. And uh, yeah, when we can travel around and I'm back in North Carolina, I'm going to take you up on that barbecue. Okay. It's the best in the country. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. You heard it here first. <laughs> okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better, as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.